let's pray everyone in the name of the father son holy spirit amen heavenly father as we continue during these days of lent we ask for a special outpouring of your spirit upon us that we may deny ourselves of those things that we don't need to be more filled with what we do need because what we need most is you in your grace and your love and your peace and so we ask that we be open to that and we come to a greater understanding of where you are wanting to work in our lives in the many different ways you are drawing us closer to yourself. We ask all these prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to do a quick, probably 90-second review of, of what we covered last week so that you have enough to go forward with the reading for this week. So, a couple of things. We said that there's three essential steps in the spiritual life that we want to try to practice in growing uh, closer to God. I guess the easiest way to put it. So the first step was being aware. So just having some level of spiritual awareness of what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. Being aware of our various moods and, and feelings and our thoughts and our desires. Being aware of when we're sad, being aware of when we're lonely, being aware of when we're joy-filled, being aware of when we're grateful. So there's all these different ways of needing to be aware spiritually in our lives. The second step was then understanding. So, if I'm sad, I'm aware that I'm sad. But now I need to understand. I'm sad because I just lost someone I love. I'm sad because I don't feel close to God. Completely different. Right? And so being aware isn't enough. We have to try to understand to the best we can these various thoughts, feelings, and desires we experience. And then third was taking action. All right, this is going to be the ultimate goal of the 14 rules from St. Ignatius, is being able to take action once we understand the very movements of our spiritual life. So, for example, once we get to the point of being able to say, this thought, feeling, desire I'm experiencing is not from God, I have to take action with it, and I need to reject it. Right? Rejecting, resisting those thoughts, feelings, desires that are not from God, as opposed to accepting thoughts, feelings, desires that are from God. That's going to be the overall goal of the 14 rules. And that was what we spent about 35 minutes on last week. So there you go in more than 90 seconds. So what we're going to do this evening is, is vitally important. In some ways, uh, these first two rules of the 14 rules that we're going to talk about during Lent are the most important rules. We have to get these right. If we don't get these right, we get nothing right in terms of understanding everything we've said so far. So tonight is vitally important. So the overall question tonight is this. How do I know which thoughts, feelings, and desires I experience in my heart are from God or not from God? How do I know that? Right? How do I know that this sadness I'm experiencing is more than just a natural sadness from losing a loved one or moving away from home, and, and it's actually a spiritual sadness? How do I know whether or not this is from God or not? So that's going to be the overall goal this evening, okay? So the first thing tonight, and uh, we'll just do a little diagram here. We're going to put God and virtue on one side and sin and vice on the other. 
So before we even get into the two rules that we're talking about tonight, we have to understand this phrase that Ignatius uses that he calls the fundamental direction of life. And we have to do some self-reflecting with this one. So the question is, is the fundamental direction of my life right now one which is moving towards God and towards virtue and away from sin and away from vice or is the fundamental direction of my life one that's going towards sin and towards vice and away from God okay now we're going to talk about yes we all sin we're all fallen we all experience human weakness we're not talking about that we're talking about the fundamental direction of your life and i have to consider the fundamental direction of my life is the fundamental the foundational element of my life right now am i moving towards god and away from sin or towards sin and away from god okay that makes sense because if we, if we can't get this fundamental direction thing down, then rule one and two just won't uh, do much for us. Okay? So the example that uh, Ignatius uses is actually another saint, St. Augustine, who preceded St. Ignatius by about exactly a thousand years. St. Augustine has one of the most famous conversion stories in all of Christianity. Right? We know he was a real son of a buck, right? He was. And he lived a life of great dissipation. And it's one of the most famous stories of, of conversion. In fact, he retells the story of conversion in his famous book, The Confessions by St. Augustine. Some of you maybe have read that at one point in your life. It's a great read on his, his life conversion. St. Augustine um, really struggled in, in a lot of ways, but the best way to put it is he lived a very self-indulgent lifestyle, especially in regards to sins of lust, sins of the flesh, and, and sexual sins. He had a concubine, he had a child out of wedlock. He lived with her for many, many years. He eventually became a bishop. And so uh, uh, just a complete kind of 180 from, from this life of, of great indulgence with, with sexual sins into a life of great freedom in, in serving the church in incredible ways. So what we know about St. Augustine's life is that in his life of all the sinfulness, there was something inside of him that was yearning for a change. There's something inside of him that wanted to get out of this. There's something inside of him that started to recognize the emptiness of his, of his sinful uh, living. And if, if you have the book, if you go to, go to page 29, at the very bottom there, you'll see the little indented part. It's about uh, 12 lines or so. At the very bottom of page 29, this is from the Confessions. This is St. Augustine describing this, this yearning for a change. He says, I was held back by mere trifles, the most paltry inanities, all my old attachments. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, Are you going to dismiss us? From this moment we shall never be with you again forever and ever. So, what we want to notice there is listen to that voice that was kind of nigh at Augustine when he started to be open to changing his ways. This inner voice said to him, Are you really going to dismiss us? Are you really going to say no to us? 
you're going to lose us forever. Okay? So notice what the enemy tried to do. And we're going to talk about what we mean by enemy here in a moment. So the reason I wanted to begin there, and I think the reason the author begins there when talking about the fundamental direction of life, is that St. Augustine, in his fundamental direction of his life that we just talked about, St. Augustine's life was fundamentally moving towards sin and vice. And then, even this little voice, when he thought about this spiritual change, the voice said, no, keep going. Keep going. Are you going to dismiss us? That's what the voice said. Okay? And so it's just an example from, from one of the saints of some of the things we're going to be talking about this evening. So in, in St. Augustine's life, he would use the language of being held back. Being held back from moving closer to God. He used the language of wanting to go forward, wanting to go forward in the life of virtue, forward toward God, backward away from God, okay? So, that's the first thing. Now, why is this so important, this fundamental direction of life and trying to understand it for us? Why is it so important for us to know, okay, is my life fundamentally moving towards God or towards sin? Here's why it's so important. In order for us to discern correctly. Remember last week we talked about discerning is distinguishing between two things. So in order for us to discern correctly what spirit is working, the spirit of God or the spirit of the enemy, we must first identify the fundamental direction of life. In order for us to discern whether the spirit of God is speaking to us or the spirit of the enemy is speaking to us, we have to have the self-knowledge in knowing what is the fundamental direction of my life. Otherwise, this gets really confusing really fast. Okay? So the first rule of St. Ignatius has to do with the individual whose fundamental direction in life is moving away from God and towards sin and toward vice. Okay? Now, I just use the term... And I said, enemy, an evil spirit, and I keep on saying good spirit. So, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the enemy? Okay, it can be one of three things. So, when St. Ignatius of Loyola uses the term the evil spirit or the enemy, he uses the traditional threefold world, flesh, and devil. All those three things... Uh, can be some source of the spirit of the enemy. So Ignatius is using the enemy in kind of a global way. He's not just talking about pitchfork, horns, and pointed tail. All right? That could be one aspect of it, right? The voice of the enemy. And we're going to work backwards here. So, yes, it could mean the personal angelic being that's named in sacred scripture, right? Scripture names and says that there is a personal angelic being who has fallen, who is a source of all evil and all temptation, all right? It's named in scripture. This isn't crazy stuff. In fact, First Peter, the first pope, right? The successor of Christ on earth, called this devil, the personal angelic being of, of Satan, he called him the, the adversary, okay? That was a word that one of the apostles used, the adversary. Jesus himself called him the tempter in Matthew 4. We just heard it in the gospel this past Sunday. Uh, Jesus also calls him 
in John chapter 8, the father of lies. Okay? So that could be one of the elements of, of the enemy. Okay? But then it also means just the flesh in general. Now, when we say flesh, we don't just mean lust. We mean more than that. Flesh simply refers to the fact that we're fallen. Fallen humanity. Okay? Fallen humanity. Uh, that's the other thing that it, that it could be. And then finally, the world. The world around us. Culture. Society. Sometimes culture and society does not have a positive influence on us. And so when Ignatius talks about the evil spirit or the enemy somehow influencing us, it could be any of those things. Okay? Now, the second question, now that we've said enemy, is this. How does the enemy work in a person who's moving away from God and towards sin? How does that happen? Here's what he says. He says, The enemy proposes apparent pleasures, leading them to imagine delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and more in growing in their vices and sins. So, what does that mean? It means the enemy wants to keep this individual in this general trajectory. Okay? Okay? Keep doing it. Keep going. You don't need to change. There's nothing wrong. You don't need to go back. You don't need to convert. Keep going, keep going, keep going. That's how the enemy works here. Why? Because he loves where we're going. That we're going more and more towards sin and toward vice and more and more away from God and away from virtue. Keep going. The world tells you to keep going. Okay, The good spirit for these people does the opposite. The good spirit wants you and wants this individual to do a complete, a complete 180 and turn and to go this direction. Okay, So the enemy says, keep going, keep going, keep going. The good spirit calls us to conversion, calls us to a change of heart. That's actually what the word conversion means. A change of heart, change of mind. So, the good spirit wants to do that and get us going back that way. Now, when we say good spirit, obviously, it's a little bit more clear than this one. We mean God. Right? In the various ways that God communicates his life to us, whether it's through grace, whether, whether it's through the sacraments, whether it's through positive, influential people we have in our lives. So, uh, the good spirit that's rooted in God, directed towards God, the question then becomes, how does the good spirit work in the person whose fundamental direction is here to here? How the good spirit works, everyone, is by trying to weaken this pull, trying to diminish this pull, trying to diminish this general, fundamental direction in life this way. It tries to weaken it. The good spirit tries to weaken it, to turn around, and to turn back. And how does the good spirit do that? Through our conscience. Through our rational judgment of right from wrong. And so what the good spirit will do is start to prick at the conscience and eat at the conscience and make them feel uncomfortable about holiness and make them feel uncomfortable about God. Why? 
to awaken their heart to turn back to what's best for them, namely God. Right? And so why do you think so many people want to numb their conscience? Because they don't want to admit that i got to change. Why do so many people want to just ignore that and not go to church and think that all this stuff is so stupid? Because they don't want to change. And they don't want to go back and do the work that's necessary because that's painful, right? That's painful. Purification is painful. So, the good spirit in these individuals will bite at the conscience to awaken them a need for spiritual renewal and a need for God. Okay? That's rule one in a nutshell. Let's go to rule two and see how we do. So, for rule two, it's when a person is fundamentally moving away from sin, away from vice, and toward God. The phrase Ignatius would use is trying to rise, trying to rise from good to better. We're not there yet, but we're trying to get better. We're trying to get better. And so now, the action of the good spirit and the evil spirit in the person who's moving away from sin and towards God will act precisely contrary to what I just described. Why? Because the good spirit wants to keep you on the path (laughs) and keep you moving in this general direction. Right? It's really rational stuff if you think about it. The good spirit wants to keep you here and keep on going. And what's the evil spirit want to do? The exact opposite and get you going that way. All right? So it only makes sense then for the good spirit and evil spirit to be experienced differently based on this fundamental direction. Now you can hopefully see uh, why it's so important. So what are some of the tactics of the enemy for this person? Here's what Ignatius says. He uses a fighting that unsettles a sadness placing obstacles and false reasons all right so remember the enemy is trying to stop the good work that's happening To get us away from moving towards God and back towards sin and back towards vice. What does Ignatius mean by biting? He talks about creating anxiety in us, taking away peace. Right? Taking away peace so we don't trust God, so we don't trust that he's faithful, to try to get us off the path, off the road. Okay? He'll use sadness. Now, there's a certain kind of healthy sadness that humans experience, right? When we lose a parent or a child or a spouse, if we're healthy, (laughs) that makes us sad. If we're not sad, there might be something wrong with us. When you go away for college and you leave home for the first time, I remember I was so homesick for like a whole year I was homesick. That's a natural sadness. That's not the kind of sadness we're talking about here. What what we're talking about uh, with a sadness working... Um, as a tactic of the evil spirit to get us off, going back that way, is in respect to God. A sadness in prayer. A sadness in our spiritual life. A sadness about whatever. Our, our own progress and how we feel like we should be doing. Alright? He also then talks about the enemy, the evil spirit, placing certain obstacles 
um, to prevent us from going further and closer to God. I want to read this example. So you have your book. You can go to page 41. So once again, this is the person moving toward God and away from sin. And this is one of the, the tactics here under obstacles. The enemy further, says Ignatius, places obstacles in the path of the person seeking God. A woman of deep faith, for example, senses God's love and feels a new strengthening of her desire to return that love. In the warmth of that love, she plans new steps toward growing and serving the Lord and begins to put these into practice. She is rising from good to better. Then, another movement is triggered in her heart. She begins to see the difficulties involved, the problems she will encounter if she continues to seek the spiritual growth. She is led to consider her own weakness. Increasingly, she feels that she is too weak to overcome the obstacles, that this spiritual newness, though attractive in itself, is not attainable for her. The enemy places obstacles in her path so that she may not go forward. See how that works. This is a person who has a fervor and excitement for growing in holiness. There's a warmth in feeling God's love. They're excited about it. She's excited about it. And then all of a sudden she realizes, holy cow, I don't think I can do this. And she focuses on that. That's an obstacle right from the enemy. And she says, well, I might have to get up earlier. I might have to do this. I might have to do that. I call it the yeah, but people, right? You you give them something, they're like, yeah, but. That's one of the tactics of the enemy. Getting us off the path by placing obstacles. This person was discouraged because of the difficulties that this would involve. The enemy hated what was happening, so tried stopping it. Okay? Uh, the next one here that I found helpful was on page 42, the next page, false reasons. Right in the smack dab middle of the page, you'll see it indented there, the story of Lucia, who just went on retreat, all excited after retreat, traveling home. If you've ever been on a retreat before, this might sound like a familiar occurrence. That experience I had as I was leaving after my retreat about a month ago made quite an impression on me. It certainly took me by surprise. My mind was in such confusion that I couldn't comprehend what was happening to me. I didn't understand how I could feel so bad so fast after feeling so good for so long. On my way home, I was second-guessing my entire retreat and felt that due to my failure, it had been a complete waste of time. I figured that I must have some serious problem and that maybe I had been dishonest by not bringing it up during the retreat. And since I didn't even know what the problem was, I concluded that I was probably incapable of making a good retreat because I was incapable of being honest and open. The thought came to me that I should not waste your time and mine with these retreats. When I thought of calling you about it, this is being directed to the spiritual director, I ran into still more obstacles. I felt that I really had no right to bother you. After all, my retreat was over. If things weren't resolved during my retreat, that was my own fault. So this person was on a wonderful time with God, experiencing the love of God. It's all over, driving home, and then all of a sudden, all this silly language, second-guessing, I figured, I concluded, right? Was that really even of God? Was I ever really close to God? Does any of this really matter? Does any of this make a difference? Sound familiar? 
the enemy. False reasons trying to get us off the path of God and virtue and back to the life of sin and vice. Okay? So that's how the enemy works in, in those who are ruled to with this fundamental direction of life. Now, thanks be to God, there's God. <laughs> and he also works. And while the enemy's job is to try to weaken this, the Lord's job, what he's trying to do, is keep, it, keep us on it and strengthen this and strengthen this, removing obstacles and keeping this relationship nice and strong. Let's just look at a couple examples of, of what that would look like. If you go to page 44, you'll see there on page 44 and 45, five different headings. Those are the different ways that the good spirit tries to keep us on the path through courage and strength, through consolation and tears, through inspirations, through uh, strengthening quiet apart, taking away obstacles. So let's just look at a couple of these because I hope they'll sound familiar in your own spiritual lives. So the first one there on page 44, courage and strength. The good spirit gives courage and strength. A man has begun to pray with the scriptures daily and finds that his new closeness to the Lord is deepening his love for his wife and children. Happy in this newness, he seeks to grow all the more in prayer and love for his family. Then difficulties arise and he finds himself struggling to persevere in this effort. He becomes increasingly disheartened. In his discouragement, he turns to prayer and recalls the words of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. These words gently lift his heart, telling him that God's love and grace will always be enough for the task. With a quietly renewed strength, he resolves to continue faithfully in his quest for a growing love of his family in the Lord. The good spirit, through the instrumentality of the scriptures, has given him courage and strength to go forward in doing good. So do you see how this fellow, who is trying to be faithful to prayer, got a bit discouraged, read some scripture, and God, through his word, kept him on the path. Kept him on the path um, through courage and strength. The next one, on page 45, the very top there, inspirations. The inspirations that the good spirit gives to those progressing toward God assist such persons with the gift of spiritual clarity. And here we go. A woman wishes to grow in prayer, and in conversation with her spiritual director, finds the way toward growth becoming clear to her. She knows that she has found her answer and is filled with new spiritual vitality. The words of a classic spiritual book slowly reveal to a faithful man the path that will bring him closer to the Lord. He silently expresses his gratitude to God for this new and energizing understanding. These are the moments when dedicated persons say with uplifted heart, now I see what I need to do, now I have found the way. The inspiration of the good spirit give clarity about how to go forward in doing good. So, one of the things the good spirit does people moving from sin and vice to God and virtue is the good spirit makes things clearer. Brings clarity to things. Right? Uh, one of the effects of sin is it clouds things. Right? I like to say sin makes us stupid. <laughs> because one of the effects of sin is it says it clouds the intellect. It makes things really fuzzy. Really fuzzy in our mind. Right? And so what virtue does is makes things clearer. And so what God then does in keeping us on this path 
is brings clarity to, to various aspects of our lives. So we gotta watch for the cloudiness and, and stick with the clarity, okay. The next one there, a strengthening quiet of heart. Finally, the good spirit gives such persons a peaceful and strengthening quiet of heart. We have seen that the enemy fosters disquiet in the hearts of committed persons through false reason. The action of the good spirit quiets anxieties and instills peace in the Lord. A woman religious has found her sense of God's love and her own love for her calling, religious calling growing over the years. She has many responsibilities in her apostolic mission, and for some time there have been a source of anxiety for her. Though her responsibilities have not diminished, this year in her prayer she experiences a growing sense of surety that the Lord is with her in the task. She has become less anxious and experiences a deepening peace that helps her find the Lord even in the midst of much activity. The good spirit is at work giving her a quiet heart in the Lord, assuring her to go forward in doing good. So for this uh, nun, the sister, moving from sin to vice, uh, from sin to vice to God and virtue, how did the good spirit work? By giving her peace. By giving her peace. The anxiety was probably causing her to turn back to turn away and to get off the path. So, this is really foundational, everyone. For those moving in Rule 2, from sin and vice to God and virtue, one of the way, main ways God works is through peace, through calm. And then we can have confidence that anxiousness isn't from God. Anxiousness is trying to get us off the path. Anxiousness is trying to focus on the storm. Remember Peter walking on water, walking towards Jesus, and every time he focused on the storm, and he focused on the waves, and he focused on uh, the wind, he sunk. Right? And so we want to have greater confidence that peacefulness is from God. And that anxiety is something that's trying to get us away from uh, having confidence in him. All right? So that's pretty much the goal of rules 1 and 2. Now going forward uh, for rules 3 through 14, the presumption, the presumption will be that the reader is living rule 2. So this, everything else will only apply to an individual who's moving from sin and to God. Because now we're going to get deeper and deeper into this different, uh, this peace of heart, anxiety, how to reject the voice of the enemy, how to accept the voice of God, now that we've laid that out. So that's going to be the presumption going forward, that we're living under rule two, from sin and vice to God and virtue. If we're living in rule one, right, and our life is still fundamentally directed towards sin, we want to be paying attention for the different ways that the good spirit is trying to get us out of that and back to God and back to what he teaches and back to what he invites us to live as his disciples.